Welcome back, everyone, to a fantastic new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. I am so excited about the group that we have in store for you today. Joining us today, we have the playwright and lyricist Dennis Wojcik, the actress Stelina Huberchenko, and the director and producer Randy Simon. All of these amazing artists are part of this new production, The Duchess of L.E.S., AI musical from Little Ukraine. It's playing November 16th through December 3rd at the Crane Theater, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting duchess.nyc. We are so excited to be bringing you another AI musical, especially one from this neighborhood of New York, and especially one that's playing at one of our favorite venues, the Crane Theater. So let's welcome on our incredible artists, Dennis, Stalina, and Randy. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a I, great welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited to talk about this show and to learn more about it. I mean, the the press release alone and a little blurb I read, I was sold. You know, you've got this great, you've got AI, you've got musical, and you've got the 80s. Check, check, check. I'm in. So, Dennis, since you're the playwright and lyricist, let me start with you by having you tell us a little bit about what this show is and is about. Okay. It's an all-woman cast, and it's about a young woman who's in love with her brother's wife. It takes place in the 80s when New York City is just beginning to recover from the 70s bankruptcy. 60,000 Ukrainians that lived in the neighborhood, many had left, creating a vacuum of apartments without landlords. In other words, free rent. Nothing's more attractive than free rent. But if you want to make it more attractive, it's the 80s. So there's lots of drugs, lots of kids, lots of violence, and the opportunity to be whomever you are. You create yourself. That's why they poured in from every board suburb in America and some from abroad. Because here in the Lower East Side, which was really decades and decades ahead of the rest of this country, I mean, the rest of this country sort of caught up, but anything went back then. You could find yourself, you could be whatever gender you choose. The uh, skinheads were doing security for the Vogue transvestites at the Pyramid Club. It was a wild time. And people felt freer than they ever had. That's my, I lived through the 80s. What a blast. Really a story of also of breaking boundaries. The code, the code that we all live by is meant to be on the expression fucked with and this young woman is breaking the code by desiring a sexual relationship with her brother's wife there's a lot more going on than that but that's kind of like the hook i am i'm hooked i'm interested i, I want to know more i guess i'll have to wait a little while until the show opens i'm intrigued to know dennis where did you come up with the idea for the show or what was the inspiration for the show? You know, when I was a young man, the very first short story I, I wrote was about a friend who had fallen in love with someone very close to him's wife. I'm not sure that's good English, but I think you get the gist. And I was shocked because I grew up, men did not only not show their feelings, they didn't have feelings. And this friend of mine couldn't stop obsessing, obsessing, couldn't stop talking about her. And meanwhile, the husband 
was a successful drug dealer who carried a gun. And I thought, this isn't going to end well. That was the, and so I wrote my very first short story and I never got it out of my head. I've written several books, some children's books, four other musicals. I paint, but I never got this story out of my head. It kept morphing and it kept morphing and it got more interesting to me the more I worked in it. I worked in it with the New York Theater Workshop for a while in a program called Mind the Gap. The gap being me, an old guy, and some teenage kids who are gender nonspecific that New York Theater Workshop was sponsoring. And I just thought about the 80s and how it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, depending on who you are. Do you live in the street? Do you sleep in your car? But it was a blast. If you had food and shelter, you could have a lot of fun without a lot of money. I love that. Randy, I want to bring you in now as the director and the producer. How is it that you came upon this show? So I was introduced to Dennis some time ago. I don't want to give a time because then it starts to date me. And I'm not dating on, you. Well, so, but we had worked <laughs> on, a, on one of Dennis's other plays, The Attorney for the Dam, one of his first books that he had written that we had turned into a play. And the experience of working with Dennis was quite different. And at the time, I wasn't directing. I, I was producing. I worked with my producing partner at the time, which was William Electric Black. And I love working with Dennis. I thought in terms of, of an interesting character, he led us into a space that we, we weren't comfortable in, but we had to find something more. And I think this play does the same thing. It, it doesn't... It, it isn't something that you feel we can talk about comfortably, but what Dennis presented us with and what, what I think we ended up getting to from his original script was something that really spoke to the obsession and, and love and the relationship to develop. I feel as though I want to connect to all of the characters. And he gave us some really engaging characters and the actors, the performance we have Oh, I, I mean, they bring it all to life. Stalina is, is one example, because one is we have a play about little Ukraine, and we have a woman, a young woman, a beautiful young woman from little, from Ukraine, from to express Ukraine. parts of, to express parts of this script and to help direct, like, certainly her mom in this script into what the experience is like for an immigrant. It's, I mean, there's so many connections. There's so many wonderful things that's part of this. I, I can't speak enough. But how, I mean, to answer your question succinctly, I was introduced to Dennis at his first play, and I love the experience. I want to keep working with him. That is fantastic. I love that. Oh. Speaking of, of actresses, I do want to bring in our actress here, Stelina Yubachenko. And I want to know how is it you came into you know, being in the show as well. How did you come upon this piece? Well, I just auditioned. I didn't really know uh, what is this exactly going to be about. I just saw Ukraine and I was like, I'm in. <laughs> and then I came to audition and it turned out to be very interesting because it's not the Ukraine now. It's not like on the theme that's ongoing theme right now in the world. It's very different. It's about the 80s. And definitely it was breaking my perception of like having, I, I was not born here. I came here like two years ago. So it was all very, you know, like seeing how the story turns out of how actually Ukrainian people might have lived in the 80s was is very kind of like prolonging the history, so to say. And for me, it's really, this play is about 
a peep on New York in the 80s on the crime, on the drugs, on the gender and sexual exploration through the prism of one family. And it's, I think it's very... Uh, we are breaking the code very much, the family code. And this is how, you know, this is how, like for me, it's many things in this play become norm normal that weren't normal before. Like gender and sexual exploration is now a norm because it a new theme comes up that is really a problem nowadays, which is breaking the family code. So it's kind of like underlying the society, like, hey, like this is no longer a problem. This is chill. People can, can be who they want to be. They love, they can love who they want to love but here is what an actual problem is or or not a problem right we are introduced to many different relationships which are we still me and the cast we're still exploring them every day we have you know a mother who manipulates her daughter for her own prospect daughter who is obsessed with herself and doesn't even notice how she herself is trapped into this relationship with abusive and disrespectful man and a sister of a husband who is in love with uh, you know um, with the wife of the husband and she's making a deal with her mother behind her back to benefit both romantic and business goals and then there is another sister of the family who was sexually harassed by the by her own brother who is also husband of her closest friend so we're introduced into many different interesting questions that we can that can either disgust us or can also find understanding and we find you know agreement with many situations and I think this is what, what makes this place so amazing. You can look at one situation from different angles and agree or disagree with it. And yeah, me as being Ukrainian, it's like seeing some uh, very vivid topics that kind of come, that bring culture in, mostly from the mother's character. Well, I am playing the daughter of the mother. So my mother, Alison, our actress, Alison, she plays a person who was stuck in the Soviet Union and who, like, who can who kind of build, brings in the revolution of not willing to live under communism rules or who wants to run the business, who wants to lead, who wants to command, who may who may makes all these things behind the back. And it's kind of bringing also the theme of women no longer willing to just follow one picture of being stuck at home, raise the family and accept man's cheating because it brings like women want to live differently. And at the same time, we're still sticking to the idea of women being taken care of and, you know, uh, which, which was very vivid back then. She wants the best for herself, the same she wants for her daughter. And that is still going on. And like this idea is still kind of going on right now, which is not good or bad. It's just a fact. So nevertheless, she's still running the business. And even though she doesn't want to say so, she does that. So it shows that women empowerment and women like conquering the world. And also that that's that having all the cast as females is kind of it's kind of brings this theme on a new level. Yeah. Wow. Look at you, Selena. <laughs> that's I'm, very I'm cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love this. I, I, I'm living for this. Randy, I want to bounce back to you. And, and I want to know, you know, with this being the world premiere, and as you mentioned, we're a week away from opening, what has it been like developing this piece? So developing this piece was interesting because where we started, we started with the Earl of Flatbush, which was the original script that Dennis had written. And as we were talking about it, as we were trying to to find its its voice, I think it's there's a number of things that became that allowed this script. I would say it found itself because each time we spoke about, I mean, 
in developing anything, you you work in theater, in developing anything, there's always a challenge. There's always money, there's an issue, there's time, there's an issue with, because when we started this was pre-COVID, it fell into a times and space where it pushed us. And then after that time and space, additional work and things that, that I could not have predicted pushed it further. And when we talked about, you know, the more Dennis and I spoke about how we were going to develop this and some of the music, originally the music was was written by Denny Blake. And Denny Blake, I love his music, but it wasn't originally set in the 80s. There's a point I want to make, which is, I think, had I not experienced Hamilton and, and what Lin-Manuel went through in terms of finding, certainly finding my own voice, I probably would not have done this. And I think when I I started thinking, oh, I really want this to have its own voice. And we, we were talking about the 80s. We wanted to introduce AI because each time we sat down with a, a composer, the issue of how they saw the 80s became a, a larger issue. And I mean, Obviously, money is always a problem. Time is always a problem. But each person's individual view of that era was a problem. We needed something that didn't have a bias, interestingly enough. And we thought AI would allow us to, one, try to find some sort of resonance that we can use that didn't have a bias. And for us, AI is a tool. It, I, I, I don't know if I can say this any clearer. AI is a tool. It is a tool, just like a hammer isn't responsible for building. It's oh. a tool, and and we are and we allow that tool to be utilized by artists. We tell the artists, "Hey, this is what we want to create. How do we do it?" And then we we strategize how we are going to get there. And I think that the challenge when we first started, I there are things I can't even introduce because they they if you asked me two months ago how this was going to look, I could not have told you the issues that we walked into with AI that we could not have predicted and where it, where it is now. And I think it certainly isn't what I predicted, but it is so much more interesting and so much more compelling. Yeah, I, I feel as though this, this is something that we have to embrace and, and understand. AI is not something we are to be afraid of because I will say this, I lived through the 80s. And in the 80s, I'm sorry, we were afraid of of the music, rap music as it was coming in. No one, the general community didn't embrace rap music. They didn't em, em, embrace music that sampled other music. They wanted to stomp it out. I've got friends who are jazz composers, who classical composers. They didn't want to have anything to do with AI, not AI at the time, rap music. Yeah. My gosh, they didn't want to hear when we were switching from eight track tape to CDs. They didn't want they they saw their music being stolen every time we introduce some sort of technology. The artist becomes a little reluctant. It requires us to jump out and say, "Hey, how do we get in front of this? How do we how do we use this in a way that one protects the artist, but two doesn't restrict us. We don't need handcuffs. I'm sorry. And and artists have to understand. It's like, no, the 
electronic piano wasn't didn't mean the end of the piano. It meant that we understood different things that we can do with it. So that's the development of this is a story in and of itself. And, and I think just hearing what Stalina just said about how she sees this, I mean, each actor, each performer, each person that's been a part of this process has developed this. It hasn't been me developing. I'm trying to stay out of their way as they are developing, you know, and I'm going to thank Dennis over and over again because he gave us he gave us a structure. He gave us a blueprint that allowed us all to find ourselves in it. So also, if you don't mind my pointing out something that's slightly off the topic, the Crane Theater comes from the word Ukraine. And that was opened in 1983, the 80s. And I was there. And I think that I look back at my life in the 80s was probably the highlight. It was the most interesting decade. And I wanted to pay some respect to my roots and the roots of the building, which had been the Ukrainian Labor Home Headquarters, Ukrainian American League's headquarters of a national organization for many years. Little Ukraine was like Chinatown, filled with Ukraine. You didn't have to know English. My father moved back there because he didn't like English. <laughs> He didn't like speaking. I said, Daddy, talk to me in Ukrainian. Shut up, he'd explain. He was not a chatty guy. I don't know what happened to me. I can't stop. Those are some great insights. I love that. And Dennis, I'm glad you jumped in because I want to ask this next question to you, which is, with your work, The Duchess of LES, is there a message or a thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from your work? Yeah, I think there is. And I have one sentence that I use with the word God in it, and I'm going to use it now. God wants you to be yourself. Your job is to figure out who that is. And that's your prime mission on earth. Be who you are. It's a struggle. Figure it out. And I think that a lot of artistic type people, creative people, do it through their art. But that's not the only way to do it. But find out who you are. Be true to yourself. Live the life that you're meant to live. And that's the message. That is a beautiful message. I love that. Someone put that on a t-shirt. That is that is banner worthy and everything. My final question for this first part of the interview, I want to head over to you, Stelina, with, and I want to ask, who do you hope have access to this show? Well, I think that's for mostly for young people in my perception, just and for the older people to look back in the 80s and see this is really what it was like. And like, you know, well, not older, I'm sorry. <laughs> not, not adults. <laughs> you know, people who lived in the 80s and kind of see and have a little of nostalgia uh, and also see how things have changed. I think that's always a beautiful moment to experience. And for young people to actually, you know, seeing the history and uh, I think this play really brings in a comparison of what the world is like right now, which themes were uncomfortable back then that they're comfortable now and vice versa. I definitely think it might not be for very young uh, children or teenagers because it's, you know, uh, it's, it's touching the sometimes very intimate and even traumatic, traumatic messages that might want to wait for a uh, more older generation to, uh, to, uh, to perceive first.
But yeah, definitely. And I think that's also like me bringing, inviting Ukrainian people in. And I think that's such a fun experience to, for people who haven't, who came from Ukraine, but they didn't know what Ukrainians lived like in New York in the 80s and what their kind of perception of the world through Dennis's eyes looked like. switch things up now for the second part of our interview and let our listeners get to know the three of you a little bit more. And I want to start by asking our regular question, which is what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites? And Randy, if I could start with you on that. No, I'm going to defer to Dennis. There's a there's a consultant that I work with, it's William Electric Black. And I'd worked with him for years in terms of inspiration. He's always in, inspired me to look for something that I feel I need to say and then go and say it. And I feel even in this piece, we didn't originally set off to find specific things, but the more we looked, the more we, we, we tried to understand what our messaging was, I think we found it. It's some of the things I'm I'm finding that that certainly resonated and helped me to understand what it was about the 80s. It's how different it is to today's society. Today's society, though, certainly it is freer. I don't think they understand that the issues that they are now looking and trying to confront. We saw it, confronted it, and didn't think of it. You know, your friend was your friend was your friend. I don't think we cared about race, gender, though we used it as the background for different things. We, the cultural tapestry, just, we were always ripping up. We, specifically in the Lower East Side, we went to clubs where, where the, the bartender, well, not just the bartenders, but the, the, the doorman, the bodyguards were the skinheads. I walked through these places and I'm like, as long as you were quote unquote on the list, you walked through. I mean, was there racism? I guess there was, but I don't know how much of it we experienced once you went went to these clubs. I think there was so much in, in terms of what we dealt with in the 80s that whether it was racism, sexism, homophobia, they were all part of just the tapestry. So you just enjoyed, you moved through it, and you just kept it going. I, I, I'm inspired by all the people that that were part of that experience because I don't was free as I feel the society is today. I don't know if they understand how free we were back then. We didn't give a rat's butt, period, and we loved it. I love that. That's wonderful. Great, mm. great points made. Well, Dennis, what about gonna you? A, I'm going to give a shout out to William Electric Black as well, because, okay, I used to be a lawyer for the criminally insane. That was my day job. I worked at a maximum security hospital called Kirby Forensic on Wards Island, and I wrote a book about it, my memoir. 
And William, who I'd known because I'd had this little theater that he'd wanted to use, said, I want to make a musical. We'll write it together. And he ended up basically just quoting material from my book. And I was with him throughout this process. And I learned how to write a musical just by osmosis. And that's been my main form of creative entertainment, though I do a lot of other things now. I've, I've written mostly musicals in the last 10 years. And I have a little theater. I don't use it that much. Erezev runs it, has been running it for maybe 20 years. But in terms of the influences on me, I'm going to have to mention the Herman Dalmatians, the cartoon version, not because it has anything to do with anything other than I got a dog and it changed my life because I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of heroin around. But because I had to take care of the dog after school, I didn't have time to mess around with heavy drugs. And I think it saved my life. Other influences, the Russian writers, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky. I've read a lot of things. Tension. I mean, I don't know really what I can say influences me now because I've I've been around for a long time and I've had a lot of influences. La Mama influenced me. Ellen Stewart. I've seen things over there in Romanian. I don't understand Romanian. But I saw The Little Mermaid in Romanian, and I cried at the right parts. It was very moving. I don't understand how that happened. Didn't understand a word of it, but very moving show. New York Theater Workshop's next door now. Used to be the Sullivanians. They were running a cult next door. but And before the New York Theater Workshop took over that building, and strange things were happening. But I saw Rent there in 1994, I think, before it went to Broadway. That was a big influence because I realized it was like the really first rock. It was the first musical that I, I got musically. Lin-Manuel's Hamilton, another step in that direction. These have all been influential to me in terms of my growth as an artist because I can't stop. I have to do something. Can't wake up and do nothing. Can't stop. And of course, Randy Simon, big influence. I'm so happy to have him Wanting to produce my show is such a thrill to me. It's wonderful. And of course, Stelina, the great beauty is always an influence. Love that list. That's a beautiful, beautiful list. Beautiful answer. Thank you for that. And rounding us out, we've got Stelina. Stelina, what are who inspires you? Uh, yeah, I was thinking about the shows that really inspired me. And I kind of caught my thought, myself on the thought that they all are around family issues and social classes, which is, which is very much the theme in this play as well. Speaking of Leo Tolstoy, Anna Karenina was like one of the first shows I've seen, which kind of was like a moment when I was like, well, I want to do theater now because it was just amazing. And, you know, seeing a woman of, who also raises so many questions of uh, judgment at the same time, feeling sorry for the woman who can't decide, is it a son? Is it uh, staying trustful to the family or uh, go for her own or her own happiness and life without her son? And then at the end of the day, just uh, ending up like with a self ending. It kind of brought a lot of questions. Same, um, I was in Germany for a year and I uh, got inspired by German theater a lot, specifically by Bertolt Brecht. And, you know, a his Caucasian Chuck Circle, Three Penny Opera, both plays that talk about social ranks where poor and uh, comparing poor and rich people where poor usually have better morals and values and to try to go to do good versus rich people who only care about money 
it's 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 kind of i think it's just a reality you know that is very much can still be up to date or not and uh or like in three penny opera it's theme in the theme like having daughter like parents who are trying to protect daughter from a poor criminal guy while themselves are not doing good and taking money from the beggars i just think this questions in family relationships really really inspire me and when it came to us uh, I discovered like more American writers and which which have certain different style, I guess. And one of my favorites are Paula Vogel. And really like how I learned how to drive, I guess, changed changed my world uh, completely. I'm having goosebumps every time I read it. And yeah, that's that's I guess that's my favorite ones. Love that. Shout out to Paula Vogel. I'm right there with you with how I learned to drive. <laughs> She's brilliant. So wonderful. We've now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and I'm so excited to hear all of yours. And that's, what is your favorite theater memory? I think I know mine. It was the moment when I did my first like actual show in Germany. I got a role well in a foreign language in German language which was you know very in a German school and I was just like well I kind of like spoke German at that point but it was still very old news. So it was so exciting. It was Alice in Wonderland, Queen of Hearts. So having, you know, a role, which is like, which is one of the like big roles in the play and like having it in German language. I just remember that like it was so nervous. I was so nervous because of the language and like uh, it was like first experience ever. But like coming on the stage and, you know, like bringing that like fighting the doubts and like understanding that you can do it in a different language and it was just that you know all the costumes and the people coming in and like I know I didn't have any parents there because like all the parents were German from German kids and but but still uh, kind of changing the energy and seeing that I could do it abroad in a different country you know in a different language and what I what I love the most like you know theater and I just remember when the lights come up and I did my first lines and I could make it and I was like this moment is worth I am and I think that was when I kind of like actually started taking what if I pursue acting further and not just take it you know casually and it was I think it was the first step into confidence of doing it i guess that is a beautiful memory mm -hmm. i love that we love a great origin story here mm -hmm. so that's wonderful who would like so to go I'm, next I'm, i remember back in high school so i'm going way back i was supposed to star as an actor in what was it lost in space that's to show you how far back it was and i used to joke around a lot i love making jokes and the director at the time, who was director of the program, Leah Decker. He was, he's still alive. He's actually moved to Florida, but he thought I was making too much jokes. He didn't like my attitude and he decided to teach me a lesson. He pulled me out of the first show and he, he threw me in the back, but he didn't want to lose me. He wanted me to stay inspired. And he put me to do a follow spot. And prior to that period, We'd always had a shitty follow spot. And when he threw me back there, I was like, I didn't really care. So I was like, oh, let me just do what I want to do. And for the first show, it was the first time that the spot was exactly where it was supposed to be. And the movement was exactly. And after that moment, he said, you are natural backstage. 
that's your space. And he never let me act in anything else. And from then on, I always felt backstage and, you know, dealing with the chaos of making things work was what I felt more comfortable with. I didn't, I didn't care to be on stage. I don't like to be on stage. I love watching, which is where we are, which is watching something come from a concept or from a script into creation. And that is the most memorable moment because it's made me a career and it's fed me, my family, but it's also helped me to understand that that the importance of being backstage is just as important as being on stage. So that's my little moment. I love not being on the stage. I love that, though. That's a wonderful story. Dennis, bring us home. What's your favorite theater memory? Okay, so when I was a child, I'd go to camp for the summer. Upstate, like an inexpensive camp called Recro. They had a boys' camp, Recro, and girls' camp, Mikan. And they were separated, but they had a theater program. And I discovered that I like girls. (laughs) And so I joined and began my theater career. I think I was the jester in Once Upon a Mattress, my first acting debut. Years later, I was a counselor at another camp. They didn't have a theater program. So I made one. And I became the producer-director of of a camp production. I never really took theater seriously as a career because I was brought up not rich. You know, that was something you did for fun, not a viable career. So I opened the little theater on 4th Street for fun. Basically, I've been doing this for fun ever since. It's some way, you know, be yourself. There's only, you got to figure it out. You know, there's, everyone else is taken, so you got to be yourself. And I've been finding myself through this. I don't know if that's a really succinct memory, but in my mind, it's quite vivid. <laughs> that's a lovely memory, though. I love that. Thank you all so much for those beautiful memories. My final question is, if our listeners would like more information about the Duchess of LES or about any of you, perhaps you'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? Take it away, Randy. <laughs> well, there's duchess.nyc. It's, one is to, it's the best way to buy tickets. It's the best way to, to learn about uh, cast, crew, upcoming dates, purchase your tickets. We'll also be streaming the show and it's important to understand. So we have friends and family who might not be able to travel during the holidays. The best way to see it might be streaming. So uh, let me give you the quick pitch. We're, the shows are November 16th, 17th and 18th. We also have shows on the 25th, the 24th, 25th and 26th. That's the Friday after Thanksgiving, Saturday and Sunday. The Sunday shows are always at 3 p.m. The Friday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturdays are always 7 p.m. shows. 7 p.m. It's important to remember that. And then our last week, November 30th, December 1st, 2nd, and of course, there's the Sunday, the 3rd, which is a, a 3 o'clock show. Please make sure and come. It is the best show you will see in the crane for the rest of the time that the crane is alive. It is the best show you're going to see in the crane. I want you to come. I want you to come. You want to ask for us. You can meet Dennis, myself. You can reach Selena. The entire cast member is 
phenomenal. There's there's no one there's no one in that cast member that I've I felt doesn't bring to it the important parts of telling the story. I want you guys to come. I I I think you will enjoy our look at this the 80s with the music that AI and only AI could generate. Well, Dennis, Selena, and Randy, thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with me today and sharing. Thank you for us. This has been Andrew, amazing. Thank so you thank so you. much. Thank you, Andrew. My guest today has been the playwright and lyricist Dennis Wojcik, the actress Selena Huberchenko, and the director and producer Randy Simon, who are all with the show The Duchess of L.E.S., an AI musical from Little Ukraine. It's playing November 16th through December 3rd at the Crane Theater, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting their website, duchess.nyc. We're going to have all this information posted on our social media post as well as on our episode description, but make sure you hurry and get your tickets for one of the final shows at the Crane Theater and a truly brilliant show, The Duchess of LES, playing November 16th through December 3rd. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our brand new website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.